Do you struggle with anxiety or depression? Do you find it hard to take compliments? Tonight, Pastor Sadler talks about imposter syndrome. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Some of you are already thinking, man, that's a Christmas text. Why is he going to Luke chapter 1? Well, you'll see quickly uh, what we find here in Luke chapter 1. And I believe we'll start in verse 28 and read verse 29. And then I need to pray because I want to make sure we have the mind of God in communicating information from His Word. Is that okay? If you've got it, look at verse 28 of Luke chapter 1. And the angel came unto her, that would be Mary, and said, Hail! Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. I want to talk tonight about a new topic for me, I've never taught about this before. I have dealt with it, but I didn't have great clarity or identification of. I want to talk tonight about a topic of uh, the imposter syndrome. Imposter, look at your neighbor and say, imposter syndrome. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, tonight, thank you for your people. God, our hearts and minds are knitted together. Our focus is on your word and your spirit leading us in revelation application that we may benefit the entire body we pray and everybody say in jesus name amen amen let let me say that for years i have seen a characteristic in people it it kind of looks like timidity somebody's timid uh, under the surface Uh, when they're put in positions they seem to lack confidence in themselves they are sometimes unable to commit out of a fear of failure. I've noticed this in people, and although I saw the symptoms, I couldn't recognize the why. And so recently I had an encounter of a conversation with a young woman, and she is a floor nurse at a hospital. That means she works on the floor. She goes from room to room. She has somewhere between seven and 13 beds, patients in each bed uh, that she cares for on her tour of duty. And she's done this for seven or eight years. During that time, she's always demonstrated competence She received praise from her supervisors as well as her patients. She got yearly reviews that showed excellent uh, progress as well as received bonuses and compensations. However, she expressed that she was on the verge of quitting. When asked why, she said, I feel incompetent. Let's be honest, it was just luck that I landed this job. She is sure that any day now her supervisor was going to meet her on the floor in front of her co-workers, rip off her hospital ID badge, and say you're fired for incompetence. And be asked, how in the world did you even receive a nursing degree? Now, 
You may not be a nurse, but let me ask a question. Who in here would be honest to admit that some days you struggle with fears of incompetence, unworthiness? They're going to figure out I ain't that smart. They're going to realize they hired the wrong Carlos Sadler. They must, I must, they must have a twin with the same name. Okay, so her feelings dominated the facts. She was about to quit a job to, in, to avoid, in her mind, the inevitable occurrence of embarrassment. Can I say after that conversation, after uh, witnessing that, I began to study and pray how I can identify and resolve this internal pain. It's a very real conflict for a lot of people. Now, I'm not claiming credit for this because once I began to research and study and pray, it became obvious after that investigation, this is a real recognized condition. Some of y'all are thinking, man, this is boring. I'm going to make it more relevant in just a minute. So the title given to this condition is imposter syndrome. It is more common in women, but men have it too. Now, let's break down these two words, imposter and syndrome. An imposter is a person who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others, especially for fraudulent gain. In other words, you pretend to be somebody so you can personally benefit. That is an imposter. A syndrome is a group of symptoms which consistently occur together. Who's ever gone on Web M, or Dr. MD, uh, Web MD, and you got two of seven fatal symptoms, okay? Well, those are just symptoms, but when you have that condition, that syndrome, you will have every one of those symptoms that travel together. Now, um, signs that you have imposter syndrome is you have a consistent mistrust of compliments that people give you. Are you really quick to dismiss? You don't know what you're talking about, man. You mistrust. Number two, you feel unworthy of any success. Three, feelings that any success you've had was just luck or chance. You only got here out of luck or chance. You struggle with anxiety and or depression. You constantly underestimate your competence or skill. You criticize yourself even after others praise you. You consistently sabotage yourself or your own success. And the last consistent symptom is you set unrealistic goals and expectations for yourself. Now, no one looking around, but anybody here can raise your hand and say, you got some of those. I saw multiple, I saw multiple hands go up in here. So if you're feeling bored right now, just realize you're helping somebody else, okay? Now, the impact of imposter syndrome, number one, it robs us of our true identity. Number two, it keeps us from fulfilling our calling. Three, it suppresses our influence as a parent, as a spouse, as a leader, as a teacher, as a coach, as a mentor, as a friend, as a Christian. You're thinking, what do you mean by suppress? Anybody here ever cut the garden hose on 
and you can't get any water to come out and you look up and your older brother's got it clamped off. He's laughing. And about the time you look down the hose to see if it stopped up, he lets it go. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Do you understand that this syndrome, imposter syndrome, can stop the flow, the momentum, the energy, and the courage in your life to move forward? We can't allow this syndrome to rob us of our true identity it can prevent us from filling our calling and it can suppress, it can minimize our effectiveness or influence with others. Now, let me give you a couple of, these are anecdotal evidence. Uh, empirical evidence is where it's scientifically proven. That's where you've got hard data to back it up. Who's ever thought you knew who was going to win an election by how many yard signs you saw for a particular candidate? Okay. That's not empirical evidence. That's anecdotal. You perceive based on this situation that you think you know. Empirical evidence is where you've had the blood test and it's been confirmed and confirmed and confirmed and confirmed. There's no doubt about it. It's empirical. It's absolute. I want to give you a couple examples from pastoring this church that maybe are more anecdotal evidence, but I want to identify it is very real even in the church. We had a wonderful lady that attended here for many years. She was very attractive, very well put together, could sing. People just loved her, okay? And she would come to me kind of sheepishly, kind of sideways. Pastor, can I talk to you a minute? Well, sure, sis, what can I do for you? And she says, you know, I know it's been a while, but I would really, you know, I think I could benefit the church and benefit if I could be a praise singer. Sure, sis, no problem. You meet all the qualifications. You got a beautiful voice. You're a great representation of the church. Sure, put on the music schedule. And after just a few weeks of praise singing, all of a sudden she'd come up missing. I don't mean quit singing. She'd quit coming to church. And it was cyclical. This happened two or three times. I'm ashamed as your pastor to admit it took two or three times before I picked up on it, but I finally made the connection that every time this individual stepped up, maybe you would even say in the spotlight, within a few weeks, she would disappear. And in a one-on-one conversation, not directly aimed at this, but just in general, she confided in me the reason she would quit is that she would prefer to come up missing because she had a fear somehow she was going to disappoint somebody with her presence. Now catch that. An anxiety that obviously someday we're going to realize she's an imposter. And we're going to say, you're lip singing. You've got a soundtrack in your pocket. Okay. And out of being so afraid of disappointing, she would disappear. Have another great lady associated with this church who... Jill and I love, and she has a tendency to draw close to the Lord, close to the Lord, close to the Lord. She is very spiritually gifted, spiritually in tune, operates in the gifts of the Spirit, but then all of a sudden, boom, come up missing. Once again, in a very unvarnished, transparent conversation, finally admitted, I draw close, Lord, and then I start to see my own blemishes. Because, you know, God is light, God is perfect light. And when we draw close to him, uh, when we get focused, when we get close to him, but we get focused on ourselves, we see our imperfections. Anybody here got any imperfections? Anybody here got any imperfections besides me? Amen. And when she said, once I saw my imperfections revealed through my closeness to God, I would scurry away because 
I realized how unworthy I am. These are two classic examples of imposter syndrome, people that allowed that feeling to suppress the reality, okay? I can break it down. Remember our definition of an imposter, somebody who is trying to deceive, especially for fraudulent gain? Let's, let's look at it this way. If you have a feeling that you're an imposter, it's not an intentional desire to deceive, so you're really not imposter. And there's only one you, right? You know, I'm, not tr- I'm not pretending to be Mo. I'm not pretending to be Todd or, or Joey. I'm me. I'm, I'm a flawed me, but I'm not imposturing, okay? And then number two, fraudulent gain. Are you really trying to benefit? And I would add a third one there. Compared to Jesus, who doesn't feel inferior? Okay, okay. It really is a lie of the mind. Who's ever had your mind lie to you? You see two people whispering and you walk in the room and they giggle and they quit talking. What do you assume? What does your mind tell you? Huh? Yeah, I'll tell you what my granddad used to say. If they're talking about me, they're talking about a good thing. That's what he said. <laughs> that was his way of diffusing his mind running wild, imagining what was being said about him. I thought that was a good tactic for him to use. Our minds can lie to us. Well, Pastor, that's not true. It is true. Imposter syndrome is very eerily similar to another condition that is more well-known, uh, anorexia. Who's ever heard of anorexia? Anorexia is a condition, once again, mostly happens among women, but not exclusively. It is where an individual who weighs 80 pounds see themselves weighing 480 pounds, and there's this disconnect. Their brain lies to them, and what they see is not reality. There's another condition that's very similar to this. It's called gender dysphoria. Who's ever heard of gender dysphoria? Now, we're seeing more and more of this preyed on. When our teenagers start going through physical changes, their body starts developing all these hormones, their bodies start to change, they start struggling. We don't recognize it as grown because we know who we are after 30, 40, 50 years. But when you're going through the teenage years, your your brain is wrestling with this. You are struggling with identity, okay? And I'm afraid our culture has jumped on this little crack where we're transforming from kids to adults to jump on a struggle or a lie where your brain is reasoning, you're flooded with emotions. That's what hormones produce are emotions. In that moment, gender dysphoria is where a girl sees themselves as a guy or a guy sees himself as a girl. Can I stop and and do a little infomercial here? Did you know you you can't buy alcohol until you're how old? You can't buy a pistol until you're how old, okay? You can't vote to a win, 18. But you can go through a guidance counselor and go to a medical office and claim that you are born male, but you feel female, and you can have your body mutilated without parental consent in too many states. I can't buy a gun. I can't vote. I can't drink alcohol. There's so many things I can't drive, but I can destroy my body. The reason I want to bring that up is 
Science proves within a short window of time. Who's ever woken up out of a deep sleep and you're falling and you're kicking your spouse? You know, you're trying to, right? Julie's never actually knocked me out of bed. Just felt like it a couple of times. Yeah. Who's ever been in a hotel room? It was your first night in a hotel room and you're not sure where you're at for just a few minutes. You wake up out of that deep sleep and you're not sure if it's real. Oh, and you kind of realize that's just a dream. Do you understand the transition in the teenage years that I'm talking about is a very short window of disorientation just to, to, just to you get your bearings? Our world is playing on that and trying to say, oh, that feeling that you're having is long-term. Science proves that that window is a very short six-week to six-month, and it will solve itself. Everybody say amen. Okay. I'm not denying those feelings, but just because a 59-pound girl sees herself as 400 pounds doesn't make it so, does it? And just because a girl sees herself as a boy or a boy sees herself as a girl doesn't make it so, does it? Do you know our brains can lie to us? Okay. Who knows what narcissistic tendencies are? Why y'all looking at me? Why y'all looking at me? It's all about me. What is narcissism? Where It's all about you. You're the center. You're the focus. You know, that's enough about me. What do you think about me? That's narcissism. I think I'm helping some people here. Do you understand that even that is a lie? Your brain lies that you are the center of the universe. You're really not the center of the universe. Okay? I had a lady tell me one time, she says, I, I'm worried about what you've been thinking about me. I, I thought to myself, well, sis, don't even think I've even been thinking about you. That's kind of narcissistic to think that I've even been thinking about you, let alone worried about what I was thinking. I, you wasn't even on my radar. I think I'm helping some people. This is what I want you to get. There are even people that see themselves in a different ethnic group. Did you know that? That's a real condition. People see themselves in different ethnic groups. And could it stand a reason that people that are competent, their brain can lie to them and tell them they're incompetent? That they feel so unclean and unworthy, but their brain is lying to them. It puts limits on what God can and will do. Now, I'm getting to some scripture because I was kind of building the case first. I'm going to kind of deflate the whole syndrome with scripture. But let me ask this question. Who's ever been around somebody who's inebriated? Okay. Alcohol usually does, once again, why are y'all looking at me when I say that? Okay. Alcohol usually does one of two things. It makes somebody everybody's friend or everybody's enemy. There's usually one or the other. It usually strips away those filters, barriers, social cues, and the, oftentimes the real emotional person comes out. Okay, I'm going to make this point. Have you ever heard about drunks? And sometimes it's even people who are high on drugs. They think they can fly. Who's ever seen a case like that? I dealt with a, uh, an employee of mine that thought one day thought he could fly. And I had to save him from himself. Okay? So if a person is inebriated and they think they can fly, have they grown wings? Has somehow alcohol metabolically cohesed with their 
blood and made them able to overcome gravity? Is that, is that what it is? So what is it about alcohol that gives people the sensation that they can fly? I've already kind of alluded to it. You know what it is? Dysphoria. It strips away the filter that uses reason and logic, facts and figures. Now, I could try to fly, but I seem to remember as a kid jumping up my parents' roof with an umbrella, and it didn't work out too well. I've seen other people try to fly, and it didn't end well for them either. So chances are nothing's changed in gravity, so I probably don't try this. That's logic. Do you understand? What alcohol does is remove logic, and it's all based on feelings. I feel like I can fly, therefore what can I do? I can fly, man. I am Peter Pan. Watch me. Right? 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 I'm going somewhere bigger. Okay. It suspends logic. Okay? Let me ask this question. Have you ever purchased a car? You were willfully ignorant of that model of car until you're on the car lot and, and you notice it and you liked it and you bought it and once you bought it you're thinking i've got the only one of these in smyrna and you start driving around and there's one there's one there i never i never noticed that car and now i got one everybody's got one narcissist says what a trendsetter i am right because it's all the point I'm trying to make is once I became aware through the conversation of this young nurse who was about to quit a job that she excelled in based on the feelings of inadequacy and the, obviously the mask, the facade, the fraud that she is was going to be revealed, the sensation that her brain was telling her she's not worthy and not capable. Through that, now that I have done some study research, now I can even see it in Scripture, and it helps me identify dealing with people. Maybe this is an issue that other people deal with. Now, Luke chapter 1, I read the text before we got started because that's what we do. Everything's founded in the Word of God. I literally believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, maybe possibly struggled with imposter syndrome. Did you remember in our text, the Bible says that the angel appeared to her and said, Hello! And he said, Mary, you're highly esteemed among women. You are special. And the Bible says after she saw him, she was troubled by what he said. Stop there. Can I tell you all something? If an angel shows up to me, I'm not going to be troubled by what he said. I'm going to be troubled that he showed up. Anybody besides me thinking, whoa. I, wouldn't be, I don't even know if I could even hear what he said. I'm like, who are you? Okay. But the Bible says she was troubled at what he said. Now, go back and look at some of those symptoms of imposter syndrome. Unable to accept compliments. Unable to accept compliments. It's an inability that if anything good happens to you, it's by luck or chance. But the angel says, God, you have found favor in his sight. You are significant to him. And she cannot embrace that idea. In essence, she was saying, I'm not worthy. I'm a fraud. I know me. And there is no way, if you're real 
and God is real, that he would use me because I know me. But can I tell you something? But God also knew her. Can I say this tonight? God knows us. Oftentimes, God knows us better than we know ourselves. A, a little sidebar, before Christmas, I went through my phone. Sometimes I really kick myself because I miss great opportunities to take little pictures. And then other times I do pretty good. I go through Bits and fits, I'll do good for a day or two, I'll do bad for a day or two. And I went through my phone, I wanted to put a photo album together for Julie for Christmas, and I stayed right within that one year's period, and I picked out the most flattering pictures, the things that brought back a good memory or were funny, and, and mostly it was all pictures of me, but you know, hey, I am the center of her universe because I am narcissistic. No, I'm just kidding. I had tried to have some pictures of the grandbabies or significant days or advanced birthdays, things. But scrolling through volumes of pictures, do you know something I noticed about myself? I had the same picture or screen capture multiple times in there because in my human frailty, I didn't realize I had already captured that. Oh, there's a cute little caption and I capture it. Three months later, it showed up again. I captured it again because I didn't remember three months before. I had multiple times that I had the same photo, same because I forgot that I had even put it in there. God knows us better. I thought it was a new revelation, a new picture, a new moment in time, a new revelation. But sometimes we have to learn, relearn, re-relearn. Who admits we forget things about ourselves? You ask your family your tendencies and habits and buzzwords and phraseology that you use. You won't know it, but they'll know it. Amen? And better than your family, your heavenly Father not only knows you, knows what you do, knows why you do it. God knows you. How do I know that? For Matthew chapter 10 says, the very hairs of your head are numbered. I know for the most part, Julie loves me. She has never stayed up all night counting the hairs on my head. And that is a fluctuating number. And her job is getting easier as I get older. Now think about it. God's got every hair of our head number. That seems so insignificant. That's the point. God's trying to show, I know the big things and I even know the small things about you. Jeremiah 1 and 5 tells us that he knew us before we were conceived. I know the thoughts, the plans I have for you. But he says here, before you were formed in the belt, I knew you. Now think about that. Before we knew ourselves, God knew us. You are not an accident. God had a plan and a purpose. I know humans do things that we're not planning and babies are conceived, but God's the giver of life. And if a baby is conceived, it was no accident. It was the sovereign hand of God with a purpose. Think about an employer. Does he have an employee start on Monday? Say, who are you? I'm your new employee. Okay, well, I'm not really sure what I'm going to have you do. There's not really much around here to do, but I'll find you something. No, God does not give life without purpose. God knew before you showed up your path and his plan for you. And if you are in a place 
whether it's a job or a ministry, if you're leading a country, a company, or a family, God's got you there to be effective with the influence and the skill he has placed in you. You are not an imposter. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalms 139 says that word fearfully means when other people see you pull up, when they see your pocket knife come out of your pocket, they just put their pocket knife back in their pocket because their pocket knife is so inferior to your pocket knife. When you pull up in your beautiful new sports car, they put their car behind the house. They're so embarrassed by Do you understand what I'm saying? You're so fearfully and wonderfully made. Every counterfeit of the devil wanes in comparison for God does not make junk. When you feel inferior, you're not inferior, you're superior. Yes, you're created lower than the angels, but the angels marvel and ask, why would God come in the form of man and die for you? It is a mystery in heaven that God would die for you. You know what? They don't know why and they can't understand how, but they know that God loves you. So there must be something awesome in you. If you don't catch any other phrase I say, remember, you're not inferior, you're superior. Not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ. You can do all things. You are not limited. You're not on the bottom. You're not the tail, but God has made you the head. You are a blessing. A company is not a blessing to you. You're a blessing to the company if you're a child of God. I'm sorry. I got to calm down. In with the good air. Exodus 33 tells us Moses is struggling with who he is. And he says, Moses, I know your name. You're not one of many to God. You're the one and only to God. There may be a lot of Carloses in the world, mostly in Central and South America, can I say? There's a lot of Juans, Jose's. Julio's in South and Central America. Does God get confused? There may be a lot of people with the same name, but God's got his name on you. He knows who you are. You're not one of a cluster or a group. For the Bible says, and I'm getting ahead of myself on our parables, that the good shepherd would leave the 90 and 9 and go and get the one. You're important to God that God left heaven for whosoever will. But if there'd just be one, God would have left heaven for the one. He knows your name, where you're at, and what you're going through. You're important. You're not an imposter. You're important to God. Psalms 139 says, and God knows our thoughts. If God knew what I was thinking, guess what? He knows what you're thinking. He not only knows what you're thinking, he knows why you're thinking what you're thinking. Who's ever given something? Everybody says, oh, that was so sweet of you. Yes, it was. Thank you very much for recognizing that, right? Oh, no, no, don't, don't thank me. It's just the will of God in, in my life. It's his desire to use me. But internally, don't we sometimes have a different agenda than what we're telling people? When we give or we do whatever, God no one knows what we gave or what we did. He knows why we gave or why we did what we did. It may look good, but our motives may not be pure. But God knows our thoughts. And then ultimately, Psalms 103, verse 14, he knows my weakness. Anybody got any weaknesses? Okay. Who's got children in here? Raise your hand if you've got children. Do your children have any weaknesses? Now, you're not going to propagate them. You're not going to tell everybody. Who in here knows at least one of your child has a certain weakness so you don't love them anymore? And you, you get their birth certificate out and you scratch out your last name because you don't want to be associated with that person, right? Yeah. 
Can I say this? I know me. God said, I knew you before you knew you. I knew what you were, comma, and I know what you're not. But it's not based on you. It's based on me in you. Okay? So when we feel like an imposter, we're oftentimes looking at the wrong thing. We are looking at what we bring to the table. Before God informed Mary, he had called Mary. He knew what he was going to do in her life. I really believe at the core she had a fear of disappointing or failing, and those feelings of unworthiness probably caused her to want to bow out gracefully or sabotage her own success. Anybody here ever quit something that you felt like you maybe could do or should do, but your fear of failure was greater than your fear to succeed? Anybody? We're going to talk about y'all in just a minute. In a good way, in a good way. Luke chapter 5 tells several great narratives, but one of them that I love is that Jesus is working with various people to bring him into his ministry. And one of those was Simon Peter. Who knows what Simon Peter did for a living? He had to be from the South. I mean, he, he, was, a fi- okay. he was a fisherman. And I thought it was so funny that Jesus decided to spend time with Simon Peter, not in church doing what came natural to him, but he spent time with Simon Peter on his boat fishing. In other words, Jesus was interested in what Simon was interested in. I don't have time to preach that. But he's on his boat. He's teaching a fisherman how to fish. Do you know how he taught him to fish? I mean, Simon Peter's claim to fame was being a feeding his family and possibly feeding a community on his ability to catch fish. And they're on the Sea of Galilee, and they've caught nothing. And Jesus uh, says, let me show you how to do this. Now, what does Jesus bring? He has no experience, no reputation, doesn't even come from a fishing family. His dad, his earthly father was what? A, a carpenter. That could either be a wood mason, but more likely probably a stone mason. And so what do you know about fishing, son? Well, let me show you. And they caught a great amount of fish, so much so it broke the net, so much so it filled the boats. And what was Simon Peter's response to that? Simon Peter's response to this, he bowed himself down, wouldn't even look at Jesus, you've got to depart from me because I'm a sinner and unworthy. Jesus revealing his deity made Simon Peter feel inferior. I say once again, compared to Jesus, who's not inferior, right? But what was his response? My response is you've got to go. By Jesus demonstrating his ability, it made him feel unworthy. He said, you got to go. I'm unclean and I'm unworthy. Notice in the scriptures in chapter five, Jesus did not coddle him. Jesus didn't say, oh, bless his little baby bones. It'll be okay. He didn't do any of that. He didn't do that. But Jesus subtly changed his focus. Simon's focus was on himself and his unworthiness. And when they got out of the boat, Jesus turned to those and said, now I will make you fishers of men. Catch that. I want you to get this. Where did he disqualify him? Where did he call him low down and high smelling? Where did he say, you had unbelief. You didn't think I could catch fish. You No. He didn't deny that humanity is inferior to his deity, but Jesus, do you know how they ultimately caught fish? In their carnal wisdom and ability, they caught no fish. But when they obeyed Jesus, there was no limit 
to what? Can I tell you what? It don't matter how many failures you've had and how much you thought you know. If we obey Jesus, he can take a nothing and turn it into something. I didn't say perfection. I said obedience. Everybody say obedience. When we obey the call of God, we may be the low down and, and uh, high smelling, but when we obey God, he can take us from the bottom of the pile and put us on top of the stack. Our God is able through obedience to do great and mighty things. Now catch this. For all of sin to come show the glory of God, who fits that category? Okay. The problem with imposter syndrome, it distracts us from action. When you struggle with feelings of inferiority, it cripples you. Well, I'm not worthy and I feel called. I'm conflicted because I got this desire. I see this opportunity. I feel this ability, but then I feel unworthy. And, and so we're just like doing the curly shuffle. We got one foot nailed to the world. Going, whoop, 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 whoop. You know, we're just going in circles, right? Anybody? Anybody? Who's ever felt like you're going in circles? Okay. Can I just tell you this? If God calls you, He'll equip you. If God appoints you, he'll also anoint you. He doesn't call you to conflict you. He calls you for before you even knew you were, God knew who you were. He had a plan for you. You can do some things through Christ Jesus who strengthened you. That's not what... You can do most things... Guess what all means? All means all. That's all all means. All means all. So when you say, I can't, or I, I'm going to duck out because I don't want to disappoint, do you think God would call you to embarrass you? Do you think God would call you to do something you could not do? No. Okay. Let me give you a disclaimer. If you've ever worried about being an imposter, can I say this? If you're truly faking it for personal gain, God is good at getting rid of frauds. You don't believe me? Look in the book of Acts. There was Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Ghost, and they were struck dead. Oh, don't tell me that, Pastor. Don't lie to God. Be honest with God. Who's ever prayed for something for somebody else, but is really indirectly helping your case or your cause or your need? Anybody? Don't lie to God. He knows why you prayed what you prayed. Be honest. God don't mind you asking. He just don't want you to sull up if you don't get what you asked for. But he don't mind you asking. Okay. So how to overcome, how to overcome this syndrome where you feel like you're masquerading and it's going to be revealed that you're an impersonator, you're deceiving people, you're a fraud or a phony. Who in here admits we try to put on our best appearance okay who in here admits that when we say we're fine we're not always fine who admits that when we say i'm doing good i'm doing good everything's not good that's not necessarily being a fraud though that's not being an imposter that's just trying not to speak negatively that everything's broken and we're not trying to magnify or amplify the negatives, okay? That's, that's not a shame. Now, don't go in denials. Some people say denial and they think it's faith. You know, if you've been in an accident and your arm is hanging on by a little piece of flesh, 
By faith, it's going to be healed. I'm fine. I'm fine. That's, that's not faith. That's denial, okay? okay. Let's, don't, let's don't confuse the matter. I think it's okay by faith to say, I'm fine. It's good. I'm going to make it. I'm going to overcome. That's not being an imposter or being deceptive. Or, and another word we don't use a lot is hypocrite. I think the hypocrite's maybe a double first cousin. I, I, I take a whole other Wednesday night to break it down. But remember, God knows us. Have faith in the fact that he knows more than we do. Anybody flown, I mean, in an airplane? I'm not sure I qualify that. I'm glad you wasn't flying today. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be parked somewhere probably. Uh, any... any I don't know of any. Anybody got your pilot's license? Who's got your pilot's license in here? So who's flown? Raise your hand if you've ever flown on an airplane. Who in here is there? Who's got your pilot's license? So when you flew, who had certain feelings about the journey? Okay. I'm not enjoying this turbulence at all, am I? Okay. My stewardess or steward I, depending on which one it was, didn't give me my cocktail peanuts. I didn't feel good about that either. Who's ever had a plane with a wicked shimmy? Jewel and I, I think, it was, no, it wasn't. Maybe it was Jewel and I. We were on a DC-9 one time. It was going, ee, ee. I didn't like that. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't like that at all, okay? But it didn't make me run down the center aisle and kick in the cockpit door and tell the pilot to scoot over, did it? Why? Even though I'm not, sold on this experience and even though I don't like what I'm going through I know he has what training we need to get us to our destination now if you can have faith in a man that's a Sunday morning I'd stop and preach there a minute if I can have faith in a man to get me where we're going how much more should I have in God who created it all and controls it all when we feel like an imposter, and I can't make it. If God says I can make it, i got to have confidence that he knows what he's talking about, that I've got sufficient enough to endure, for there's coming a day that those who did not faint at the last trump of God because they endured, didn't say they liked it, just said they hung in there, stayed with it. Now, we need to develop confidence in God. Look up in your own time. The Bible says that we should have no confidence in the flesh. In the flesh. What's confidence in the flesh? When you believe in the power of humanity. Who knows what humanism is? Humanism is the art and science people who believe in human effort and ability. Like we really can change the weather. Like we really can rebuild the ozone layer. Can we destroy the earth? Yes. But God has made the earth where it can sustain itself. We may kill ourselves, but if, it, if we have a nuclear fallout, say we go into a global nuclear war, it won't last long. Everybody's annihilated, but, but it'll be uninhabitable. You hear me. We may kill ourselves, 
but God's earth will not be destroyed until God's ready for it to be destroyed. Some teenage boys behind our house set the woods on fire and burned it down to the dirt. It used to be a beautiful woods. Now it's just a big old hill of dirt. But do you know what happened? That fire turned the charred things into carbon. That carbon become a fertilizer and it came back plush and green and thicker and stronger than it ever was. Do you know what I realized that day just as a young child is that we can destroy the face of the earth but God has set it up. We may kill ourselves but it, God's made this earth to be renewable. It, everybody say renewal. But nuclear, man, that's a man-made thing. And it, it lasts thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Anybody here able to, old enough to remember uh, Chernobyl nuclear power fallout? Do your research. They sent a group of scientists in there in the last few years because it's been 30 plus years since that. We were trying to measure the nuclear radiation that was still going on and they thought it was going to be exponential. It's decreased rapidly and they opened up one of the reactors, these men's in special suits and opened up a reactor and guess what they found in there? A very simple three-stem fungus was growing in there. <gasps> Nothing can grow in radiation. This fungus was not only growing, it was thriving. It is a simple little fungus that we don't even think about is devouring the radioactive material and breaking it down. It's going, burp, it's burping it up and turning it into inhabitable. You say we're going to create something that's going to destroy the w world forever until God says it's destroyed. It's not destroyed. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying the same thing is true about you. You may feel broken and unworthy and dirty and uninhabitable, but I'm telling you what God has called clean, let no man call unclean. What God said is worthy, let no man say. If God says you can, you can. If God says he wants it, he wants it. If God says I will use you, guess what? He will use you. You're not an interloper. You're not deceiving you're only walking by faith in obedience to what god has called you to do you're not an imposter you're important so second corinthians i've marked it my second corinthians chapter 10 look at verse 5 certain verse 4 for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not of the flesh but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, I don't have time to go into all that, but let me say strongholds. Uh, who remembers watching Westerns and the cavalry would be uh, out surveying the land and looking for the movements of the Indians or making sure the border's secure or whatever. But at nighttime, or if they became under attack, they would run back to the fort. And when the last horseman got into the fort, they would close the gates and put the big support beam across there and they'd put soldiers up on the wall and they would be safe or secure inside that. That stronghold is something that is fortified, that is hard to overcome. Who admits you've had trauma and tragedy this left a deep groove in your emotions and it's hard to overcome and things can trigger that. That's not lack of faith, that's just being honest. How, how can God heal or help what you're in denial about? That's a good word, y'all. Okay, So it is saying through God, these strongholds can be brought down. Look at verse 5. Casting down imaginations. Where's your imagination found? 
Okay, so your brain is the organ, your mind is how that organ operates, its system, how, how it processes, how it works. Everybody's got an almost identical brain, but everybody's brain works differently, doesn't it? Who's a visual learner? Who learns more by reading a manual? God help you. I don't call it directions, I call it destructions, Right? I, I come in and lob a big idea that everybody else is supposed to execute because I don't have the patience for that. We've got to get this done. Gotta be, right? Okay. Our processors work differently. This is the important part, though. Casting out imaginations which are found in the brain and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. That's when we, we need to bring down that which exalts, propels, perpetuates, dominates the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? I read you the things that are important. God's got the hairs of your head numbered. God knows your name. God, you were not an accident. God created and gave you life on purpose. He has a plan from you. He knows the conclusion of the matter. He knows what intent he called you for. And if, he, if he's called you, he will equip you. And if he's appointed you, he will anoint you. And so we need to remember we need to remember when we feel this trigger that I'm an imposter. Remember, wait a minute. God gave me a name. His name singular or plural? He knows your name. Your name. That means you're not one of many. You're the one and only what God calls you to be. So it's not your lumped or grouped together, that group over in Tennessee and that group over in Mississippi. No. He knows the hairs of your head and got them numbered. And he knows your name. What happens to us though? We get into conflict or struggle, anxiety grips our heart, and we want to drift away because we feel like we're going to be revealed as a fraud or a phony. Hear me. Anybody here ever had to put a series of extension cords together in a power strip to get a fan because you're just smothering? Anybody here ever done, or a light? You're, you're, and you're stringing all these little 10-foot cords together and you're meandering out a window and down the sidewalk and over the fence and under the car and you finally get the fan of the light where it's supposed to be and it won't come on. Well, you go in the house and the plug where it's plugged in, its origin, you plug a light in there, works fine. So you know you got power, you paid the bill. Everybody say amen. The bill has been paid. So I know this light works because I just plugged it in. If I get it to a power source, it will work. So there must be a problem. And what do we start doing? We start backtracking. Well, that's connected, and that's connected, and that's connected. Okay, that's what we need to do when we feel an imposter feeling that we're going to be exposed, that we're unworthy and incompetent, and God can't use us, and we're a failure, and we're a flaw. We need to go back through, go back to the nurse for just a second. She should ask herself the question, how many competent decisions have I made? How many days have I done this job and had no issues? How many patients have I cared for that did not die under my care? How many years have I received good reviews? How many years did I go to school to learn to do this job? Did I or did I not pass my medical board to become a nurse? Do you know it would be a mathematical impossibility for all those things to line up and be luck or chance? Well, you're laughing. That's ludicrous. But some people's minds are telling them that they're a phony, a fraud, and that they're going to be exposed for being incompetent. 
It is a feeling, but it is not a fact. And that's why we need the word of God. Dwell on it. The facts are God loves you. God died for you. He said, if you confess your sins, he is sure and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. As a Christian, we need to remember the night that God first pricked our heart with conviction. We need to remember the place when he first spoke to us and called us to an altar. We need to smell the carpet. We need to remember and feel the cold water of the baptistry which here, we don't have cold water. We have hot water here. We're in a progressive church. You need to replay it in your mind. I remember the night I heard myself speak in tongues, a heavenly language that no man taught me. Did you know that the word of God is forever settled? He's not fickle. He's not changing the contract on us. His word is forever settled. And his word says, if we confess our sins, he is sure and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Guess what? If we've confessed our sins, he has forgiven us. Amen. Who's not inferior to Jesus? Raise your hand. So when you feel inferior compared to him, don't run from him, run to him. Listen, I'm not, I'm not equal with him, but I'm in his party. And when his reservation's called, I'm going to have a seat at the table because I'm sitting with him. Second yeah. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 tells us once again, it's all because we've obeyed him. Who in here's done stupid? Who in here's got thing if you replay it in your mind, you're embarrassed about decisions you've made, places you've gone, things you've done? Okay. Who in here's afraid of your wild oats catching up with you? Your chicken's coming home. Anybody here done things like, oh, Lord, I hope that never, I hope I never run into them again. I hope I never get that in the mail. I hope that nobody's got that on video. Anybody? Anybody besides me? But we're not saved because somebody expunged our past. We're saved because we obeyed him in repentance. It's under the blood when we were baptized in his name. And guess what? We're a new creature. We, hey, we got new fingerprints. The facial recognition program's not going to find us in that nightclub. They're going to find us sitting in heavenly places. I don't think y'all get this. You're somebody because of what he's done through obedience in your life. You're not an imposter. You are who God says you are. You are a child of the king. His kingdom is without end. There's not going to be a change of political parties and you're going to be on the outcast group. No, you're always going to have connections. You're always going to have authority because he's king of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, tonight, thank you for your wonderful people. God, I know we all struggle some days feeling like we don't measure up and we're unworthy. God, it's good for us to be humble, but never let us be humiliated because we are your children. God, just as your word declares that a prodigal could come home without humiliation, God, your desire is not to humiliate us, but it is to restore and help us establish the places that you've prepared for us and let us receive all that you have. And God, when we doubt ourselves, that's okay, but God, let us always have confidence in you that you are able to do a complete work in our lives. And when we come up short, let us always know it's your good pleasure to make up the difference. Help us tonight to grow in wisdom and knowledge, but also in grace and mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. 